The reading is uh, from Galatians chapter five, and it's on page 1172 in the Bibles. Galatians chapter five, and we'll start uh, verse 16 and read through to the end of the chapter. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Uh, good, uh, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you. Uh, well done for setting your clocks forward an hour. Or at least letting your phone do it for you automatically. Uh, do keep that passage open. We're going to have a look through it. Uh, there's some challenging things in this passage, so it'd be good for you to see uh, the words uh, on the page as we go through. Let me pray as we begin. Our Lord and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word that reveals your character, reveals your son, the good news of salvation through faith in Christ alone. We thank you that your word reveals to us uh, all that we need for salvation and every good work. So we pray now as we uh, think through these words, that if we don't know you, we pray that you would open our hearts by your spirit to respond. Pray if we uh, think we know you, but aren't sure that these words would help confirm uh, to us what we need to know and that we need the Lord Jesus. And we pray for us who do know you, that you would uh, encourage us to live all the more for you. In the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Uh, well, we've been going through Galatians from the beginning. Uh, Paul has reminded the Galatians so far that our salvation is, uh, in other words, our only hope in this life to have a relationship with God is through faith in Christ alone. There is no other way. Uh, he's used lots of images. He's talked about uh, we were slaves to the law of God. Now we're sons of God in Christ. We were dead in sin. Now we're alive in Christ. We were uh, sons of Hagar, who was a slave in, uh, under Abraham, uh, who represented our fleshly decisions and effort. But now we're figuratively sons of Sarah, because we've been divinely saved, as she received a child divinely of God. So we're made sons by God's work, not our own. And all along, Paul has issued warnings Alongside these reminders, don't slip back into slavery. Don't slip back into living by the flesh. Don't give up your sonship. 
And in chapter five, uh, his pattern changes slightly. Uh, the thinking goes like this. Now you have salvation by God's grace alone. Firmly fix your sights now on him. And now you are free. And so now he addresses what it means to be free. So he's no longer saying, uh, don't, he's no longer addressing the, the slavery in the sons. He's saying, now you are sons. What does that look like? How are you going to be as a son? What does freedom in Christ look like compared to slavery, to sin? Uh, it's an important uh, distinction to think about uh, this change in chapter five, uh, because uh, as we saw in last week's passage, and it, it, that these verses overlap with our passage this week, so let me read them to you. It can sound like he's contradicting himself. He said all along, don't obey the law to be saved. If you do that, Christ is nothing. He's, he's pointless to you. But then in verse 13, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but... Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love for the entire law. So now he's talking about the law again, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't fulfill the law for salvation. Galatians 1 to chapter 4. But do now that you are freely saved in Christ. Do now live, fulfill the law, not for salvation but because you have salvation. Or as he'll put it here, you once lived by the flesh, now you live by the spirit. So it's our motivation, it's our thinking, if you like, about our obedience to God that is key here. So uh, obedience can't save us, but it is right to obey, he's going to say. And so you might have two people striving to obey the law of God, one trying to save themselves, and ironically, they're not saved. They're trusting in themselves. The other, obeying the law because they are saved. Because they know now who they are in Christ. And so they want to behave what, as they've been made to be. On the outside, both these people can look the same. But on the inside, their hearts are very different. One is trusting in flesh. The other is trusting in Jesus and the Holy Spirit who lives in his heart. Uh, both people are characterized by obedience, but the person characterized by trust in Jesus alone is also characterized by the fruit of the Spirit that comes out of them, and we'll see that a bit today. So the rest of this passage, uh, we're going to think about what true freedom is. We're going to think about what a Spirit-led life is. And it's going to look like this. Two things, uh, we'll come on to them later. It's going to be a daily nailing of our fleshly sin to the cross. Secondly, it's going to be following the spirit of God who calls us to love God, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So our first point, though, before we get to those sort of applications, is that we are at war. Have a look at verse 16 to 17. So I say, live by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. Uh, this is a battle scene. 
our fleshly desires, in other words, our desires, the desires of every human being is in direct conflict with the spirit of God and his desire for us. If you live by the spirit, you will not gratify the flesh. The flesh is contrary to the spirit. The spirit is contrary to the flesh. They're, they're strong words. We're at war. And so, verse 17, Paul says, and so you do not do whatever you want to do. In short, if you wake up each day and do the things you naturally want to do, you'll be repelling in conflict with the Spirit's desire for your life. Or if you wake up, you read God's word and read his will, and by his Spirit, choose through prayer and will to live according to the Spirit, <coughs> will be repelling the fleshly desires. See the conflict? It's like two opposing ends of a magnet that just can't come together. They push each other away. What you want to do naturally by the flesh is not right, says Paul. Don't do whatever you want to do. We ought to live by the spirit. We're at war within ourselves. There's a conflict. Now, don't get confused. We've said this already. Paul is not saying we must win this war to be saved of our sin. That's the opposite of his point. The war is won. That is to return to slavery, if you like, thinking we can earn our salvation by winning this war, by obeying God enough. That's the false teaching he's addressing in Galatia. And that's why I think he drops in verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. It has no power if you understand this. But we still want to live by God's law. Being saved freely from slavery into freedom in Christ does not lead to doing whatever you want, is his point. No, because you are saved by the Spirit, we now join a battle because we no longer belong to what we once were. The flesh that has been slain in God's sight by Christ Jesus on the cross still rages on within us. In God's sight, it's dealt with on the cross. But within us, it still rages on. The difference is now we have the Holy Spirit in us. So we actually see the realities of what's in our hearts. And we see this war, this conflict within. Before we were blind to our sin, Paul says in Romans. Now, boy, do we see the works of sin in our lives. <coughs> because the Spirit highlights them to us. We're convicted again and again and again. There's a conflict within us. And it will continue to be this way until Christ returns and completely rids us of all sin and evil in this life and this earth. And at that point, we will become what we already are in Christ. But until then, we have this conflict within us. Yes, we are at war. Uh, in Romans 7, Paul puts it like this. I think it's on the screen, 21 to 24. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? His body is subject to death, 
but in Christ, he's already alive. But there's this war continuing within. If you feel this conflict within you, uh, between a desire to delight in, to, to, sorry, a desire to delight God, but a reality of sinful actions and thoughts, then as hard as that is, you should actually be encouraged. Experiencing and feeling the pain of this inner conflict is a sign that the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. He is leading you and your body doesn't want to go. Uh, some, will, some will tell you that no, we're free and that means we have no cause to consider our sin whatsoever. No, says Paul, we're at war, in conflict. And as we're about to see, we're to take decisive action in this battle, but be encouraged, weary soldier, as you repent again and again and again. For if there is no fight within you between sin and spirit, then you don't have the spirit, you just have sin. But if this is you and you have this conflict where, again, I, I've sinned, I've let God down. It's evidence of the spirit within you. Be encouraged that that battle is present. And so Paul then says, prepare yourself. Familiar, familiarize yourself with this battlefield, with the two sides, so that you know how to fight. And so that's our next point. The flesh is desires versus the spirit uh, let's consider the flesh first uh, the things that we are to crucify he says verse 24 well they're obvious he says verse 19 the acts of the flesh are obvious aren't they sexual immorality impurity debauchery idolatry witchcraft hatred discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions and envy drunkenness orgies and the like i could go on I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, they're obvious, aren't they? Uh, desires of the flesh, sexual sins, lusts, uh, desires uh, for such things outside of one man and a one, one woman marriage, idolatry, everlasting, uh, sorry, elevating created things above our creator character issues of hatred and jealousy, pursuing selfish gain. That's a powerful one we like to ignore today, isn't it? Selfish gain rather than the good and the gain of the Lord God and his church and the lost who need to hear the gospel. And in fighting, an envy at work or at home and amongst our neighbours, drunkenness, drugs, parties, clubs, all designed to sell us the idea of lusts and escapism. It's obvious, says Paul. Paul gets us to look down on this battlefield, down into the valley. There is the battle camp of the flesh, and it is a horrid sight. Adultery, lust, blood, violence, selfish gain, backstabbing, idols, swearing, abuse. And sadly, the world... Uh, lives in this camp and has rose-tinted glasses on. You know, it, it's pretty. There's, there's nice bunting on the outside of the tents to hide the horrors within. 
that the spirit allows us to see that camp for what it truly is, a rebellion against God. We continue to live in that camp of the flesh without waging war against it, says Paul, and you'll have no inheritance with God. Because if you have the spirit, you will see it and you'll be disgusted by our own sin and our own rebellion. And we'll want to flee that camp with all of our strength. And we'll be looking for a different leader, the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. If you uh, get on with all of that obvious stuff of the flesh, without any kind of inner conflict, you're probably not a Christian, is Paul's point. And if that's you, you have no conflict within yourself against the sins you know to be wrong, well, then you need to talk to someone today. Repent before the Lord. But if the Spirit is within you, then yes, you will be tempted. And yes, you will sometimes fall into sin because a war is raging within you. And I can assure you, the spirit is in your heart. You'll be repenting, literally to turn your back on the flesh. Not, not just, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, God, I know you'll forgive me. We'll be turning our back. We'll be walking away. We'll be wanting to keep in step with something else because up on the ridge above this battle camp of flesh there's another camp camp of the holy spirit have a look at verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control Against such things, there's obviously no law. Love, joy, and peace uh, are fruits, I think, most directly toward, directed towards God. Uh, we love him, for he is our father. Whatever goes on around us, we love him. We have joy because we have a sure and eternal hope with him. Because we have peace with him, he has paid for our judgment, for our sin, for our flesh. He has put it upon the Lord Jesus, his own son in our place, so that we are no longer at war with him. We're now at war with the flesh. We have peace with him. Enemies have become family. Love, joy, and peace. Uh, the next section of the list looks more outward with forbearance or, or patience which implies we need to show that towards annoying people, doesn't it? You don't need patience with someone who's lovely and enjoyable all of the time. Or kindness. Yes, towards those who are kind to us, but also towards those who are not or cannot repay us. Goodness, simply a sense of being good to one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a summary, he says. We're trusted 
you know, we, we go out of our way, we do what we say, we walk the extra mile, we're beyond reproach. We're also wanting to be faithful, faithful to God and towards others according to God's ways. We're gentle people. We're not a people who need to shout loudest, defend our own rights, repay every wrong. For we've had all of those things forgiven of us. Self-control. How different is self-control to the activities of the battle camp of the flesh? We do not fill ourselves with desires and idols and dreams of grandeur and money and success. Rather, we just seek the good of others. Uh, We shouldn't be surprised that when we read these fruits of the Spirit, that they are all seen in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Read through the Gospels again. Maybe have this list alongside and just sort of tick them each time you see Jesus act in one of these ways. So do you remember the, the terror and the chaos and the filth of the battle camp of the flesh down in the valley? This may be a war, a conflict, a battle, but how calming to enter the camp of the Holy Spirit. The war rages on outside in our body. But in our hearts, love, joy, peace. This is where we now belong. Uh, This is the camp. Keep in step, says Paul. Within your march with the Holy Spirit, not with the flesh. There's no enslaving law here, as he says in verse 18. Nothing to hinder the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Stay in this camp. Fight for this leader, not for who you have been freed from. And how do we do that? How do we live by the Spirit? How do we keep in step? We've said it already, but... These last two verses are really helpful in clarifying uh, what we do with all of this. So finally, how to live by the Spirit. Firstly, crucify the flesh. Have a look at verse 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Crucify the flesh, he says. As the battle rages, we're not to ignore the battle of our own sin and flesh. It doesn't really matter. Jesus will forgive me. No, we're to crucify the enemy, he says. Uh, This is not the same crucifixion that Paul uses elsewhere. He's already said in Galatians 2.20. I don't think I left that one on the screen. But Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So there Paul speaks of the all-fulfilling work of Christ in us for salvation. It's done. But here, he addresses the Christian who, in accepting the reality of what Christ has done, responds by crucifying the flesh ourselves in every possible way, every single day, because it is the enemy. It stands in conflict with the Spirit. And because in Christ, it is not who we truly are anymore. Uh, The strength of this point is not to be missed. Don't just kill it, crucify it, he says. Nail every sin 
to the te uh, and temptation to the cross. Crucifixion is slow and it's painful and it takes time to die. But do it, says Paul. And when Christ finally returns, every sin and temptation that we've nailed to that cross, everyone that he's already dealt with in his own crucifixion and resurrection will finally expel its last breath. Gone. But until that point, crucify the flesh, he says. It's a daily repentance that we need. It's a turning from our sin. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. And as such, we now hate the flesh and the camp that that all belongs to. We're free from it. We've been delivered. We're to take up our cross daily, as Jesus puts it. Nail every flesh. It's going to be hard. But take up your cross. Nail your sin and temptation to the cross and move to a different camp. But we're not alone, says Paul. You don't have to do this just by your own imagination. Second point, we're to keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus has already done it all for us. He now lives in us to help us to practice what we already are until Christ returns. So crucifying our flesh, our sin in repentance, turning away is to live by the Spirit. That, that is his work. But we don't just turn away from the flesh towards nothing. We turn into the arms of the Spirit. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He is there. You, you just need to follow him. It's not a let go and let God type command as often interpreted. Paul is very clear. We have a role to play here. Christ did not die to forgive us and turn us into sort of pointless robots who have nothing to do. It doesn't really matter. It's just see. But he turns us into followers, keep in step, who seek his will and glory each and every day. To live by the Spirit, he says, to keep in step. So the Spirit is there. He is ready to lead. He is in our hearts. He highlights the problems before us. But we are, us, are to keep in step. In other words, the Spirit of God leads as he says in verse 16 and 25, but it is, it is us who does the walking, the stepping. And what does that look like? Well, it, it looks like this passage, doesn't it? We crucify our flesh in repentance, turning away from the fleshly desires that are obvious. We don't do it a lot alone. We now follow a new commander, the Spirit of God, and we keep in step. You belong to his camp now, and he shows us what is good. He shows us what is honourable and worthy of God in his word. Just as we've read today. So we strive to, as Paul's already told us, to fulfil the law by loving God and loving others. We pray and we work on the fruits of the Spirit, becoming like the very character of Jesus before us. But let me end with, uh, a short quote from uh, John Stott, the late London preacher and theologian, who uh, applies this passage 
uh, for us. He writes this. This will all be seen in our whole way of life, in the leisure occupations we pursue, the books we read, and the friendships we make. Above all, in what older authors called a diligent use of the means of grace, that is, so then he describes what the old authors would encourage us to do here. That is a disciplined practice of prayer and scripture meditation. In fellowship with believers who provoke us to love and good works. That's a good thing to do today, isn't it? In keeping, in keeping the Lord's day as the Lord's day. And in attending public worship and the Lord's Supper, which we'll share shortly. In all these ways, we occupy ourselves in spiritual things. We're in his camp. It is not enough to yield passively to the Spirit's control, he writes. We must also walk actively in the Spirit's way. Only so will the fruit of the Spirit appear. Let us walk actively following and keeping in step with the Spirit today so that the fruit of the Spirit may appear. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we look down at the camp of the flesh by the help of your Spirit, help us to be more and more appalled. And at the same time, help us to be more and more overjoyed that you have spared us from it forgiven us freely through faith alone, in Christ alone. And as we daily participate in this conflict, may we rest assuredly by keeping in step with the Spirit. Help us crucify, repent, turn away from our fleshly desires and to follow your ways, to fulfill your law and commands for us in your word to love you, to love our neighbours, so that you may be glorified. Amen.